This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... We'll be announcing a lot of very high-level deal commitments. We want to generate interest and excitement. We want to get people's hearts and minds involved and, and really invested in a new partnership with Africa. That's uh, Camille Richardson, the official in charge of boosting U.S. market access and commercial partnerships in Africa. Details coming up also. Observers say the African diaspora is a powerful asset for developing the continent. The African National Congress will have to decide whether to keep the current president in power. And Morocco prepares for the World Cup semifinals. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with our top story. The program of the U.S.-Africa Summit shows a major focus will be on American private sector involvement on the continent in the future. There'll even be so-called deal room used by African officials and companies and U.S. firms to negotiate and plan projects. More than 40 African heads of state will attend the three-day event that starts Wednesday in Washington as the White House seeks to strengthen its presence on a continent that's gaining importance on the world stage. Darren Taylor has more. Briefings by key U.S. officials have revealed notable differences between America's approaches to business in Africa and those of its main economic competitor, China. U.S. Assistant Secretary of Commerce Arun Venkataraman suggested to journalists in a recent briefing that American companies would do better business in Africa because they were free of state command and control. There in Africa not because the U.S. government tells them to do so or allows them to do so, but because they recognize as private holders of capital and technology that Africa's growth story in the coming decades makes the continent an essential place to do business in order to be globally relevant and competitive. And that is also what will make their partnerships enduring and capable of producing tangible benefits on the ground for the long term. Ben Kataraman revealed U.S. companies are ready to take on Chinese technology giant Huawei, which has a massive presence in Africa's digital space. Its mobile phones and components make up 70% of 4G networks across the continent. But in some developed countries, Huawei technology is banned because of concerns it's used to spy for Beijing. Ben Kataraman's message was... Use American companies to boost digital connectivity and you won't worry about cybersecurity. Working together, we will advance our people's needs by supporting open networks built on a cybersecure foundation that fosters skills and capacity building, entrepreneurship and innovation, and an investment environment that enables the free flow of data while protecting personal information. He also acknowledged Washington's interest in Africa's reserves of rare earth minerals critical for the green energy transition. Analysts say this shows the Biden administration's concerned China is monopolizing the extraction of these resources. Camille Richardson, the official in charge of boosting U.S. market access and commercial partnerships in Africa, said the continent was becoming an increasingly dynamic and attractive place to do business. 
But I would say that perhaps one of the largest barriers to trade and investment is the lack of physical infrastructure. And it's one of the Biden administration's top focuses. So infrastructure is definitely an area where we see opportunities for collaboration between our our governments as well as our private sector companies. Venkataraman indicated the U.S. was ready to finance infrastructure, including road, rail and port, to back the implementation of the African Continental Free Trade Area. This investment, he said, would help create a single unified market to ensure Africa plays a critical role in global economic activity. Richardson emphasized the summit wouldn't be just a talk shop. We'll be announcing a lot of very high-level deal commitments. We want to generate interest and excitement. We want to get people's hearts and minds involved and, and really invested in a new partnership with Africa. And you can certainly expect a major policy announcement from the president at the end of the summit. That's all I'm going to say. You'll have to wait until the day uh, to hear the announcement. To paraphrase, key messages to Africa from Biden officials leading into the summit have said, you've been working with China for quite long now, but if you give us a chance, we also have a lot to offer, probably more. Our private sector is the strongest in the world, and we want to work with Africans on innovations that will shape not just the continent, but the planet. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Observers say the African diaspora is a powerful asset for the development of the continent through investments, trade, innovation, remittances and much more. Derek Kayongo is an entrepreneur and human rights innovator whose initiative, the Global Soap Project, helped provide much-needed soap and hygiene to vulnerable communities worldwide. The 2011 CNN hero and human rights advocate launched Africa Mbili, a U.S.-based organization aiming to mobilize the diaspora to contribute to Africa's development. The organization is hosting its annual Global Transparency Day at the John F. Kennedy Center for Performing Arts on the sideline of the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit under the theme, A New Movement to Recover, Invest and Build the Future Africa. VOA's Lenok Mudu spoke to Derek Yonga about his work and vision to further engage the African diaspora's contribution in the development of Africa. I decided as a human being, as Derek Kayongo, that I was not going to tolerate the things that I saw around me, that I was going to do something about it. And even though it was one little small thing, as small as an ant, I knew that the power of ants is in volume, in numbers, that I would do my part. So that's what really got me to build the Global Soap Project. I, I saw a lot of Western hotels, the hotel industry in the U.S. throws away about 800 million bars of soap every year, which is about 2.6 million bars of soap every single day. And where does that soap go? It goes into the landfills and makes us sick. On juxtaposition, we have 2 million kids that die every year to poor hygiene. And now we have COVID. And the first line of defense against COVID is hand washing. Before you do immunization and all that stuff and vaccines, wash your hands. So I found my work very relevant today. And then I moved, yes, you're right into the civil rights area uh, because I was, uh, my forerunner in the U.S. was John Lewis. But he was a civil rights leader. And he began as a young man 
So that's what made me and led me to that particular work. What have you identified in terms of the priority when it comes to the need of your community that is fueling your work? The first one was, of course, to recycle soap. I then realized that it, it is just a, a, a placebo or it's a band-aid. We have very many vestiges. We have malaria, we have uh, poor roads, we have ba- bad water. But at the end of the day, is Africa going to really develop with the level of corruption that we are faced with? It is estimated that every year we lose a trillion dollars every year that leaves that continent. Now, if you give Africa back to the leaders that really care and love their people a trillion dollars every year, which is more than international aid, by the way. <laughs> Can you imagine what we would do? This issue of corruption, extreme corruption, because there's corruption all over the world, but extreme dilapidating corruption is going to stop Africa from developing up to the next 100 years. How can you uh, make a significant impact when it comes to tackling corruption? As you, an individual, Derek Kayongo, what are you doing? We have to think about building a movement. The first thing to think about in building a movement is the diaspora. We are the only people in the diaspora who are free. I mean, we are Americans now, we are Canadians, we are Brits, uh, that can actually say something about extreme corruption. The one thing that we have to do first is to educate, mobilize, agitate, and then get our diaspora to advocate for policies from our governments now, our new governments, our American government, to really speak to this issue of extreme dilapidating corruption. You recently launched uh, Africa Mbele. It's a U.S.-based international organization mobilizing the diaspora. What are you uh, hoping to accomplish? There are a lot of multinational corporations that do business in our, on our continent that don't pay taxes, and if they do pay taxes, they underpay taxes, or they negotiate deals with our governments that do not pay the right price for our commodities. And then we have banks that have opened their doors to allow this kleptocratic money to flow out of our continent, what we call wealth flight. And when the money shows up in these Western banks, it benefits the people in those countries. So the transparency of these banks, the transparency of these corporations, and then the kleptocrats, we have to really figure out a way to identify where that money is, to once we identify that money, then to really figure out a way to re-engage that money. Asset recovery then is followed by building a fund to actually invest in what we call infrastructure development. We're talking about highways to connect our continent. We're talking about communication. We're talking about healthcare systems. The U.S. Africa Leaders Summit, uh, your organization, African Bele, is hosting a gala at the Kennedy Center under the theme, uh, a new movement to recover, invest, and build the future Africa. What is the purpose of the event? To be part of that particular summit and speak to the issue of kleptocracy and uh, 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 corruption. We want to make sure, Lena, that African mothers and fathers we left back home don't see us driving Benzins at Bentleys out here as if we have our homes uh, uh, set. We need to do something and we need to speak up. That was Derek Kayongo, an entrepreneur and human rights innovator, speaking with VOA's Eleanor Moudou. 
You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. In part two of her interview on the Eastern DRC, my colleague Esther Gitu Iwart asked Jason Stearns, founder and chair of the Advisory Board of Congo Research Group at New York University, about mediation efforts and the impact of the violence. Talking about Rwanda, what do you make of the recent remarks by Rwandan President Paul Kagame that DRC's President Felix Shisekedi is exploiting the current crisis to delay next year's uh, presidential election? Well, uh, there was a lot. Uh, President, uh, President Kagame has usually made very feisty remarks uh, a couple of days ago. And to be honest, there was quite a few things that he said that are accurate. There is a lot of hate speech in the Eastern Congo. This is true. The M23 is not the only problem in the Congo. This is true. The Congolese government has a lot of responsibility to bear for the situation. This is true. None of that, however, justifies Rwandan support to the M23, which has just made all of this worse. Uh, the hate speech is made worse. Discrimination is made worse by the M23 offensive. It's derailed the peace process. And so I think that while he's right on some accounts, he's not right on that. And I don't think He's necessarily right on the elections issue either. The Congolese election, uh, National Election Commission has finally put out an electoral calendar that says elections will be held. And President Chisikedi has promised that elections will be held by the end of next year, which is when they're supposed to be held. It's not going to be great elections, I think. Uh, indeed, they're late in preparing the elections. But that's because of other issues not necessarily linked to the M23. So I think at the moment, at least, we have to give the Congolese government the benefit of the doubt. They have many things to blame them for, but I don't think election delays, uh, we can yet accuse them of that. So um, Kenya's current president, William Ruto, and uh, former Kenyan president, Huru Kenyatta, have called for cessation of these hostilities. And of course, the East Africa regional forces are on the ground in DRC. But do these mediation efforts go far enough? And what can be done? to stop the atrocities that are still ongoing? Well, I think it's great that the Kenyan government's involved. Uh, I think regional mediation is a very, very important factor in this. The Kenyan government has a lot of influence in the region, including over Uganda and Rwanda that are have been spoilers in this conflict. And so I think the involvement per se, they also have a lot of business interests. Kenyans are getting increasingly involved in Congolese business, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so there's a lot of potential, and yet I think not much has come of it so far. Just today, um, the, the most recent peace talks in Nairobi were brought to an end, and there were basically no conclusions from this round of peace talks. And so I think there's been very little headway so far by this regional mediation. Now, in Luanda recently, there was a meeting of heads of states in the region where they said they concluded that if the M23 does not withdraw to the very... To the, to, the, to the very edge of the DRC, to the positions that it held many months ago, then the East African force will basically wage war against the M23. And so I think the next step is to see whether they will, they will uh, carry out that promise, whether the East African intervention force will actually carry out offensive operations. Jason, recently we saw a lot of chaos and, uh, you know, displacement of so many civilians and especially uh, women and children, the elderly, you know, men. It's been chaotic in DRC. But what's the impact of this chaos on civilians and DRC in general? I mean, it's, 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 it's really heart-wrenching. There, there are 5.5 million people displaced in the DRC at the moment. That's the largest humanitarian crisis in the world outside of Ukraine and Syria. 
And yet we hear almost nothing about the DRC. Um, the displacement in the DRC, when you hear displacement, it's a technical term, but what it means is, is that many of millions of people don't have a, a place to sleep. They don't have a reliable source of food or water or medical care. That's how people die. Uh, and that's traditionally how people have died in the DRC. It's not from machine guns or machetes. It's been through just petty displacement. And so uh, it's had a terrible, terrible impact. It's also prevented the Congolese government from carrying out many of the reforms necessary. It's distracted attention. It's sucked up resources. And so it's, um, it's, a really, it's a really tragic. And this is more displacement than has ever been in the DRC. We've been in conflict now in the DRC since at least 1996. And this is the highest level of displacement we've ever seen. That was Jason Stearns, founder and chair of the advisory board of Congo Research Group at New York University, speaking with my colleague Esther Gitu Award. South Africa's ruling African National Congress is kicking off its party conference this week amid a leadership crisis and dwindling public support. The divided party will have to decide whether to keep the current president in power, a decision that could drastically change the political landscape in the country. Linda Giftash reports from Johannesburg. In the township of Soweto, where South Africa's ruling African National Congress, or ANC, penned its first draft of the country's post-apartheid constitution, residents say they feel like they've been forgotten by the party. Aged government housing has been crumbling, and a fire earlier this year wiped out several homes. Roughly 20 families have been relocated, not to brick-and-mortar homes, but to corrugated iron shacks that have no water or electricity. 62-year-old Martha Meyer is among the residents. Stampers here and no, nobody come and look after us. It's raining and the winds blow the roofs and everything and they said must take our own money to fix it. The replacement of brick homes with tin shacks is emblematic of the failures of the ANC to provide basic services, residents like Meyer said. It's why she and many others have stopped supporting the party that won them freedom from racial segregation nearly 30 years ago. They do nothing for us. They just eat the money and sit in the office and settle them up. Just sit and relax. The ANC is no good. The crooks. The declining support for the party is worrying as it holds its leadership conference this Friday. President Cyril Ramaphosa is facing contestation for party and country leadership amid a scandal over his handling of large sums of foreign currency stolen from his prize game farm. But in Soweto, community activist Griselda Swartz says most people don't care whether Ramaphosa survives or is replaced. People still feel that it's the same party, it's the same people, it's the same principle. So it boils down to the same people working in the same offices, even though they change the leadership position. University of Pretoria political scientist Roland Henwood warns the ousting of Ramaphosa would be disastrous for the party that is eyeing the 2024 general election. With Mr. Ramaphosa, it is possible that they can get 50% plus. Without him, it is unlikely. On average, Mr. Ramaphosa is 10 to 12 percentage points more likable and gets more support than the party itself. Regardless of whether Ramaphosa survives, a bigger political crisis is underway due to the disengagement of voters. 
Henwood says less than half of eligible voters cast a ballot in the most recent polls. What we see in South Africa is what we call industrial-scale corruption. This is not small thieving that is happening. This is looting the resources of the country on a grand scale. And that is why you see the disillusionment. Probably what would need to happen is a different approach from a new leader. Within the ANC, Henwood says there's no obvious alternative to Ramaphosa on the ticket, with many other party members also tainted by corruption scandals. How the party decides to move forward will be determined when the conference ends December 20th. Linda Giftash for VOA News, Johannesburg. Celebrations erupted Saturday in Casablanca as Morocco made history by becoming the first team from Africa and the first team from an Arabic-speaking nation to make it to the World Cup semifinals. This fan was celebrating in Qatar after Morocco defeated Portugal 1-0. She says today was full of fear, more than happiness during the match, and the fans in the stadium had the same feelings of joy and fear. She says God granted them victory, and the Atlas Lions were at top form. There is calm in Qatar today as teams prepare for the semifinal matches. Tomorrow, Argentina takes on Croatia, and on Wednesday, Morocco confronts France, the 2018 World Cup champions. Catch up on the latest World Cup news on voaafrica.com slash World Cup. And stay tuned to all your favorite VOA programs, including the sunny side of sports. And don't forget to look for our latest World Cup podcast on goal with Sonny and Mokbil. We'll have an update on today's actions on African News Tonight at 1800 UTC with Sonny Young. Hello, this is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. Um, Yehiyas will he be in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mok Barro, and our engineer, Al Santos, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA. 
VOA's Newsmaker Interview Program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at voanews.com or connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voa or on Twitter at voa. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bubble music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09 